listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Now, up to this point, Jesus has been presented as a tantalizing teacher. He is teaching and preaching with authority. The people are captivated by Jesus' teaching. He's not like his contemporaries. He's not like the rest of the people there. When Jesus spoke, people were listening. He put his own teaching on equal footing with the Old Testament. That's authority. Jesus is teaching as one who had authority. He's teaching, and he's also delivering people from demons. He has dominion over demons. Jesus has absolute authority over demonic forces. When the demons want to talk, Jesus tells them to shut up. They shut up, and then they're listening to Jesus. Absolute authority. And then Jesus demonstrates on top of that absolute authority over sickness, over disease. It doesn't matter whether it's a demon. It doesn't matter whether it's sickness. It doesn't matter whether it's teaching and preaching from the Word of God. Jesus is demonstrating absolute authority. And so we, like the people in that particular day, we have to ask the question, what does this mean? Is Jesus just a tantalizing teacher? Is Jesus Christ just a worker of wonders? Is Jesus Christ something or someone more? Maybe there's something more to Jesus. Maybe it's not just that he's a miracle worker. Maybe it's not just that he's a tantalizing teacher. Maybe there's something more to Jesus. And we must ask that question. And we must ask another question. What does this mean for me? What does it mean for me that Jesus is doing these things, that Jesus is saying these things, that there's a response happening for Jesus? When we come to this particular passage in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, the gospel writer takes us deeper on this journey that we could discover more about Jesus and therefore more about ourselves. On one of those days as he was teaching Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. 
and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary, unusual, peculiar, mind-blowing, jaw-dropping things today. Oh, what it must have been like to be there, to be a fly on the wall, to see the Pharisees sitting and the teachers of the law sitting. It's interesting that Luke says they were sitting. This is the posture that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law would assume when it would be their turn to teach and to preach. Not like today where a man will stand when he's going to preach the word of God. In that day, in that time, the custom was that when you were going to teach, when you're going to preach, you would sit down. And Luke is presenting to us the first of many contrasts, the first of many confrontations, the first of the difficulties between Jesus and the Pharisees. Pharisees. This is the first of what will be many conflicts between Jesus And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those who were supposed to be leading the people deeper, weren't leading them deeper. They were distracting people from the Messiah. They should have recognized Jesus. People have come now from all over, Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem. They have traveled 15, 30 miles, 60 miles, 90 miles and more by foot. The original social media, we know it well in York, word of mouth, It's gotten out, and the people are coming from all over to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, and maybe, perhaps, they will see him do something that they've never seen somebody do before. There's a contrast. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are sitting in a posture, ready to teach, ready to preach, and yet it is Jesus He's going to teach everyone a lesson as the conundrum is placed right before them all. There is a man who is more frustrated than somebody on his way to work in the middle of a traffic jam. He understands word has gotten out that Jesus is in his town. Maybe it's not his town. Maybe he's been somebody who's traveled from 15, 30, 60, 90, 100 miles or more. Maybe he's had a caravan of people take him. He's heard about Jesus. He knows that Jesus has the power to heal. This man's got a problem. You know anybody with a problem? The man can't walk. He's paralyzed. He can't walk, but he's got an entourage. I think he probably was Italian from New York. He's got an entourage. He's got a group of people who have taken him to the place where Jesus is. And when he gets there, he just walks right into the place where Jesus is. The crowd steps aside and lets this obviously needy man right in through them all, right to the feet of Jesus. Don't you wish it was like that in some sense, that you could just have unhindered, unbridled access to Jesus? This man could not help himself. He needed somebody else to help him get to the feet of Jesus, and he was tenacious, He wasn't going to let anything, his own sickness, he wasn't going to let anything, his own inability, stand in the way of him and what he knew he needed. He needed somebody to help him walk. He needed somebody who he already believed could help him to enable him to do the impossible. 
This man was at the end of his rope. You know anybody who's at the end of their rope? This man comes to Jesus and he is exasperated, no doubt, because he can't get close to Jesus the way he needs to get Jesus' attention. There are a lot of people. There's crowd people. There are Pharisees and teachers of the law, dignified people, undignified people. People with all sorts of problems. Word had gotten out that Jesus can perform miracles. Jesus can cast out demons. Jesus can heal the sick. Wouldn't you travel 15, 30, 60 miles or more if you knew that somebody had absolute authority to give you what you needed in your life? This man is a phenomenal example for us of a man with a conundrum. A man with a problem who says, I'm going to get to Jesus. I'm going to press into Jesus. I've got to get to the feet of Jesus. And there is nothing that's going to get in the way of this man getting to Jesus. Oh, how often we give up. How often we kind of knock a little bit. And then there's no answer at the door, so we give up with God. Oh, how often there's difficulties in our life. It could be a marital difficulty. I talk about marital difficulties all the time because there are so many marital difficulties. And we knock a little bit and we ask Jesus to help us. And what happens? We stop asking. We start, stop being dependent upon God. Listen, you will either be absolutely dependent upon God. Listen, you'll be absolutely dependent upon God or you will be dependent upon something or someone other than God. And it is that thing that you are depending upon more than God that will keep you in your conundrum. It will keep you away from the feet of Jesus. This man... 2,000 years after, is showing us what it's like to be tenacious, to press into Jesus when you have a need and not to take no for an answer. He knows. His friends know because of Jesus' response when he saw their faith. They all had faith. Jesus sees their faith. They believe that Jesus can heal him. Do you believe that Jesus can do something in your life above and beyond what you have been able to do in your own life? You're right if you believe that. And until you come to that point, whatever it is that you're facing in life, you are selling yourself short. More importantly, you're selling Jesus short. Not because Jesus sells himself short, but because we do it all the time. This man is tenacious. There is nothing that's going to keep him from the feet of Jesus. There's nothing that's going to keep him from getting his perceived need met. Nothing's going to keep him from getting his perceived need met. What do I mean when I say perceived need? This man felt he had a problem walking. And Jesus is about to tell him, you don't have a problem just walking you got a problem as to the root of why you can't walk. Have you not noticed that all of us, like this man, we're living outside of Eden, far away from the presence of God in the original situation. Adam and Eve walked in the garden in the very presence of God. Intimacy, they were spiritually alive, but the day they ate the fruit, they were kicked out of the garden separate from God. Spiritual death all of us are living outside of Eden because of sin. Sickness 
and disease and hardship, this stinking world that you and I live in, the struggles that we go through in our relationships, the struggles that we go through financially, the struggles that we go through in the workplace, the struggles that we go through emotionally, all of these difficulties can be traced and tracked back to the original crash, the fall of man. Now, people say, that they don't believe in God, they don't believe in his existence. Listen, the very fact and reality that there are difficulties and hardship in the world should be enough to convince us that the fall really happened. We are not living in a utopia. We're not. And anybody who tries to convince you otherwise is either sleeping on drugs or in complete denial. Yet many of us are trying to create a utopia that's not promised to us this side of Eden. It's not promised to us until Jesus Christ returns. Now, this is a foretaste right here where Jesus is interacting with them and showing the people that he has the authority to remove the curse. He has the authority to do what no mere mortal can do. He has the authority to remove the root of the issue. It's not an implication here that the man was guilty of a specific sin. No specific sin is mentioned. Be careful if anybody tells you that the reason why you're experiencing something is because of a specific sin. That might be the case, but just being outside of Eden is enough. You can be walking with God and drawing near to God and be walking in complete surrender and still be suffering the impact of sickness, of disease, of illness, of difficulty and hardship because that's part of living outside of Eden. It comes with the territory. And all creation groans for that day when Jesus will be in our midst and we'll be with him and we'll never have to say goodbye. We'll never have to leave his presence again when the inhabitants of man, the inhabitants of God is together in the meantime, God gives us a foretaste of that in the first coming of Jesus. Your conundrum can be the very opportunity for the compassion and confession of God to say something, to do something that you really need. This man's problem is not that he cannot walk. The man's problem, as he's about to see, is that he is separate from God. He's got a sin problem. And this is what God is continually in the process of doing in your life and mine. We often approach God because of the conundrum that's before us, how we see things. We think we have a financial problem. We think we have a relational problem. No, it's a sin problem. We're continually reminded that we're outside of Eden. Whatever the problem is that we face, the real problem is original sin that we are waiting for and longing for a home that is not here, not right now. But many of us, we pursue God and we seek God for the particular problem that we're experiencing and we never get beyond the perceived need to the real need, which is absolute dependence upon God, where God comes through and does in us, to us, with us, and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. This man had a perceived need. It was paralysis. His real need was spiritual life. 
He needed to have all his sins forgiven. You might have a problem in your life right now, but it's a perceived problem. The real need in your life, first and foremost, is forgiveness of sin by faith, saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. That's where it all begins. And once you give your life to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that begins a journey. Do you hear what I'm saying? It begins a journey of abiding, continual, perpetual surrender where you are no longer living your life the way you used to live. You're not living the way you used to live where you did the things that you wanted to do and only invited God to bless you, only sought God when your crises came. No, now you're seeking God whether there's crisis or whether it is not crisis. You're beginning to seek God for his glory through the midst of crisis. It doesn't matter whether you have crisis or whether you have plenty, whether you have want and need or whether you have abundance. It does not matter. You've settled the issue because you have crossed over from death to life. Your sins have been forgiven and now Jesus Christ is living through you and it all becomes about the glory of God. Jesus understands this man's conundrum. He understands that the man's real problem is the sin issue. What does he do in verse 20? When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. I think Jesus would make a good New Jerseyan. Your sins are forgiven, you man. He makes this statement that would just be absolutely jaw-dropping. In fact, it seems to get the goat it's, it seems to get under the skin of the Pharisees and the scribes. This sends, this confession sends the Pharisees and the scribes into a conniption. Hey, what did you just say? What did you just say? If they were wearing glasses, they would have taken them off. If they weren't, they would have put them on and they would have looked and they would have said, <clears throat> Did you just say what we thought you said, you blasphemer? Because according to the law, this type of an open statement of forgiving sin was punishable by stoning. Can you see the look on the Pharisees' faces, the scribes' faces, sitting in their position of teaching being seated in a position of authority while the one who has all the authority puts them in their place and pronounces that this man's sins are forgiven. They're in a conniption. And they make an observation. And it's stellar. Who can forgive sins? except God himself. Who can forgive sins except God himself? And Jesus, not missing a beat, doesn't correct them. If he was a good teacher and he was leading them astray, here would be a good time, Jesus, to correct them, to right the boat, to correct it here. If you're not implying that you have forgiveness of sin and that only God can forgive sin, if you're not making an innuendo that you and God are in such cahoots together that you can make that type of a pronunciation, pronunciation that if you don't mean what you say, then here's your opportunity to correct it. Correct it. Jesus doesn't. You wonder the facial expression on Jesus at that point. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus says, oh, is this a concern to you? Is this really what concerns you as you're in your conniption? He perceives their thoughts, verse 22. He answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man does exactly that. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater, from the seen to the unseen. You see, it's subjective. I could say to you, I forgive you all of your sins. How do you know whether or not that's true? Just because I say it's true. You need some type of a testimony. This is why the miracles of Jesus were done. And any miracle today that might occur is done to draw attention to the nature, the character, the identity of Jesus Christ. The miracles of Jesus did not happen in a vacuum. Any supposed miraculous sign and wonder that someone might say happens today is to happen for the purpose of drawing attention to Jesus, not to distract us from attention to Jesus, but to give glory to Jesus. It's true when Jesus was on the face of the earth, when Jesus was performing the miracles. How much more for those of us today around after his time? Jesus is saying, listen, you need proof, you need evidence, you need clarity that what I'm saying about sin, the unseen realm of this man's life is true, that I have authority to say that, I'm going to heal this man and do the absolute impossible, which is harder for me to say. What's harder is to put your money where your mouth is to say that this man's going to be healed and actually heal him, because if you don't deliver on that, then we're not going to believe you about the other thing. We're not going to believe you about this forgiveness of sin issue if we don't see something right here about a man's physical, biological need. And Jesus says, pick up your mat and go home. And so what's implied here is that the man's sin was also forgiven. Not because the man worked hard and paid alms to God, not because the man tried to earn his way to have his sins forgiven, not because of anything the man did other than he had faith in the identity of Jesus. He believed that Jesus was not just a tantalizing teacher. He believed that Jesus was not just a worker of miracles. He believed that Jesus was God's anointed, the one who was sent by the Father. And Jesus is using this as an opportunity. Jesus is using this as an opportunity to teach the people, to help the people go from their perceived need to what their real need was. The ministry of Jesus Christ at that moment took a quantum leap forward. In your own life right now, you might be operating with a very limited understanding of Jesus Christ. He might be someone who can do mighty works in your life. You might need him to do a mighty work in your life. You might pray to God to help you in whatever your perceived need is. But until you come to the point of understanding that your real need 
is the forgiveness of your sins, you're missing out on the primary major purpose of Jesus, the major identity of Jesus. This changes everything. Jesus uses this term in regard to himself, the Son of Man. It's a phrase that the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law would have been familiar with this phrase. Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. Daniel chapter 7. Jesus, you know, if, if you read this with a New Testament understanding and you're not familiar with where it comes from, the danger is that you could read this casually, not understand the significance of what this would mean to the Pharisees who are sitting in a position ready to teach, ready to pounce on Jesus and correct him at any moment. Jesus has just uttered something that should be considered blasphemy. The people should be in an uproar at this point, ready to stone Jesus. But Jesus silences them all by healing the man and therefore showing that he has the ability, the authority to do what no mere mortal can do, forgive sin. Jesus has the ability to forgive you of your sin if only you will believe in Jesus. All that's needed is faith in the identity of Jesus. For man, it's hard. But for God, it's easier than you think. For God, it's easier than you think. All that's needed is faith in the person and works of Jesus. And Jesus is continually teaching the people about who he is through the miracles, through his words, through his self-identification, by using the phrase, Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Look in our Father's word. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. Another phrase used about the living and true God, a reference to God. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Look at this, verse 14. And to him the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is making sure that they understand there is no daylight between him and his Father. To see Jesus, as John says in his gospel, is to behold the Father. To see Jesus doing these works is to see the Father doing these works. Jesus is God's anointed. He is the Son of Man. And so if you are a Pharisee, if you are a scribe, if you are a teacher, Jesus is adding insult to injury here, and yet he's providing for them a good, healthy dose of salt to make them thirsty enough, to make them hungry enough, to make them sit up and pay attention. Do you understand when I say that I am the Son of Man, that's what I'm referring to? I am the one whom all people are to serve. It is my kingdom. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a miracle worker. I am the son of man that you scribes, teachers of the law, Pharisees, well-versed in the law, experts in the law, making sure that there's no doctrinal impurity. I am the one spoken of. Now, Jesus can't be a good teacher if he's a liar. Jesus can't be mentally unstable to say these things and then have that explain the miracles. 
He's able to put his money where his mouth is. He's able to take people from what their perceived needs are to what the real need is. Listen, you've got perceived needs in your life, conundrums in your life. There are more conundrums coming. They're coming. I'm telling you, following Jesus does not mean that God will erase all of your problems. It may mean that your problems are just beginning. But you have a much bigger problem until you come to the feet of Jesus, until until you're tenacious like this man coming to Jesus. Your problem is that you're interested in and pursuing other things than Jesus. You're depending upon something other than Jesus. Your perceived need is not your real need. Your real need, my real need is intimacy with Jesus. Your real need, my real need is to have the dividing wall, the separation between you and God removed once for all so that you can begin the journey for which you were created, which is abiding intimacy with God. I don't care if you're a teenager. Don't wait for an adult to do what you should be doing. I don't care if you're an old person and you think your best years are behind you. If you've got one more year to live for Jesus, it's a year worth living for Jesus. You'll never regret it. God is always in the business of taking us from our perceived needs, what we think the issue is, and moving us to understand what the real issue is. The real issue is that we've got a sin problem that must first and foremost be taken care of, that all of our sins would be forgiven by understanding the identity of Jesus Christ, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And the problem is that once we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we have to continually depend upon Jesus and be be tenacious in absolute dependence abiding surrender with Jesus Christ, tenacious in pursuing him. Have you stopped pursuing Jesus with what others would perceive as a tenacity, with what you know to be a tenacity? We've got to stop pursuing Jesus with a lukewarmth. Stop calling lukewarmth hot. You don't need to wait for somebody else to go after Jesus. You hear him calling you right now. You hear him speaking to you right now. Your perceived need is not the real need. The real need is absolute, total dependence upon Jesus to remove your sin and to keep you walking with him in abiding closeness and intimacy. And if you settle for anything else, you have settled for second best. Pharisees are in a conniption. Jesus doesn't mind. He provides the confirmation. So that you might see with your own eyes the spiritual reality behind every single one of you. Because Jesus couldn't say us because he was without sin. I'm going to perform a miracle in this man's physical body that is going to cause your jaws to drop. You're going to be in amazement. You're going to go home and you're going to say, we saw amazing, extraordinary things today. Imagine the reputation of Jesus after that miracle. People were not just considering him anymore as a worker of wonders. They were no longer considering him just as a tantalizing teacher. They had to now wrestle with the same thing that you and I have to wrestle with 2,000 years after the fact. What does this mean? 
What are the ramifications of the identity of Jesus for me? Can I continue to walk half-heartedly in what I have been calling up to this point, surrender to Jesus? Can I continue to do that? Or maybe it's time, maybe it's time that I begin again to pursue Jesus, go after the feet of Jesus with a tenacity that I used to have when I first knew him. Maybe it's time that you stop waiting for somebody else to set the pace and you, what if this man, what if this paralyzed man had given up and said, hey, there's a lot of people who are drawing near to Jesus. Who am I? Uh, There's other people who are drawing near to Jesus. There's plenty of needs around Jesus. This man was not waiting for somebody else to blaze the trail. He blazed the trail. And here we are 2,000 years after the fact, seeing what it looks like to be a man who is tenacious and pursuing Jesus. If you want to pursue Jesus with tenacity, would you just raise your hand up and say, that's me? Eyes open. Heads raised, I want to pursue Jesus with a tenacity. I have perceived needs, but I want God to take me from what I think I need to what he knows I need. God knows what you need more than you even could understand on your best day. Others of us, having never given our lives to Christ in the first place, This is the opportunity for you to recognize that Jesus has authority to forgive sin. Jesus has the ability to remove sin from you. He is human and yet superhuman, above human. He is God in the flesh. He has the authority to do what you can't do for yourself. You and I have a problem. It's a sin issue, and we need to have God do something to us that we can't do for ourselves. We need to have God remove the barrier, remove the sin. And so the reputation of Jesus at this day takes a quantum leap forward, just like for you hearing my voice today, whether it's by podcast or whether it's right here, right now. You're hearing what I'm saying, and your understanding of Jesus today takes a quantum leap forward. Forgiveness of sin, I didn't even realize I needed my sins forgiven. I've spent the majority of my life trying to be a quote-unquote good person. It's not possible to be good. Jesus makes the statement by bringing this man's sin to his attention and to our attention and the attention of all his friends helps us understand that your real need is to have your separation from God dealt with. Your real need is to have your sin removed. Your real need is to be resurrected from the dead, to have spiritual intimacy with your heavenly Father. Your real need is to have a peace treaty signed between you and God, and that is signed in the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross by personally putting your faith in the works, the identity of Jesus. For many of us today, just like this man and his friends, the Pharisees, the people there, the crowd there, our understanding of Jesus is going deeper than it ever was before because Jesus utters something that no mere mortal could say and get away with it. He's got the power. He has the authority. And he's completely willing to forgive you of your sins and help you live a life of intimacy day by day by day. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. 
If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit couragematters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Thank you.